0: The Boarding Schools Expo takes the time and stress out of finding the right school to meet your family's needs. By bringing schools to major centres where they're all under the one roof, the Boarding School Expo gives your family the chance to discuss your educational needs directly with representatives of the school. In 2022, they're launching Boarding Expo 365, a virtual expo reaching families across Australia. Whether you're up in the Kimberley, flying choppers east of Normanton, or making Bree on King Island, Boarding Expo 365 will showcase schools right from your kitchen table. It's truly destination boarding from wherever you call home. Head to their website, boardingexpo.com.au, to discover your boarding school options today. Ariat boots and clothing work hard, look good and are so comfortable there's never a need to slow down. Visit ariat.com.au today.
1: Undooya was the first cattle station in the Northern Territory and in 2022 it celebrates its 150th birthday. In this episode, I sit down with Ben Hayes, whose family have been at the helm for most of that time. Ben shares insights into life at Undulya throughout the decades, which the family have learned about through a collection of detailed diaries and memorabilia. We also discuss the impact of urban sprawl and other events which have seen Undulya's size decline in recent years, and what that means for the future of the station.
2: Andui is the first pastoral lease, or the oldest pastoral lease in, in the Territory, close, well, around the same time as Owen Springs, and uh, taken up 150 years ago this year in 1872, uh, taken up by Smith and Baggett. Uh, we've got the old diaries over in the old kitchen where they left and were leaving Adelaide and walking their cattle up. Um, very interesting reading. It's it It's beautiful handwriting in the diaries but it's um and it takes a bit of getting your head around the handwriting if you know what i mean it's a bit it it's really nice writing but it's it's hard to work out what they're writing once you get going you're right it's it just takes a few pages to get working out how to get your eyes over the writing
1: i feel like that's what it's like when i read text messages from young people these days and i'm like what are you saying i don't get it
2: yeah don't worry i'm the same <laughs> i <I'm so, laughs> don't understand all the acronyms
1: and so this house or the homestead was that built when they first got here, so 1872.
2: The old kitchen between the two chimneys is old. It's the old oldest building. It's the oldest probably lived-in building in the territory, um, and it's just a kitchen and a dining room. And then we've, it's been built on on the two like the bedrooms on the one side of it, and then the meat house and stuff on the other end of it, um, on the verand- under the verandas, I suppose. Um, and we still use that as our communal kitchen. Big thick walls. It's all stone and mud. Um, and yeah, we, it's still lived in and used today.
1: What about this building right here that we're right next to? So, cause they're, it, they're kind of next to each other, but separate buildings. I guess it's yeah. like there's a bit of a breezeway between them.
2: Yeah, there is a breezeway between them. This is a bedroom house this side. This is built, uh, my father remembers them building this house. Um, cause the old house that was here originally for the bedrooms was it, white ants aided out. Um, and this was, Built probably seventy odd years ago. Um, all the bricks are handmade out of the by, the, by the from the creek. The, the the um like they use all the sand out of the creek to make the bricks. So yeah, this, that's that's pretty old too. This one.
1: It's fascinating that they have the houses like in two parts. Like I don't know if I've seen that anywhere else. I don't know. Maybe even in some of the older houses I've been at, it's still always the one mm-hmm. building or one structure. And
2: I'd, I'd say. With with the kitchen house being the way it is, back when they first kicked into gear and stuff, cooking and like with the old Rayburn stove, well that wouldn't have been Rayburn then with the old kit with the old fireplaces in it, bloody hot in the summer and get a get a got to get away out get out of that house I suppose to to cool down. I presume that it is. Um, when you have a look inside the old kitchen, like there's there's pegs. Over the, like, cause nothing's square in it. It's, it's a tradesman's nightmare because everything is out of whack. And, um, when you, when you look at the doors and the windows and stuff, there's like steel pegs in them. And I would say that's where they used to hang up their Hessian and stuff to, and, and wet it to cool it, a bit of a breeze, but to cool the joint down a bit. I'd say that's what it'd be for.
1: So when you say nothing's square, do you mean like in a room, if you, measured the angles of like where the walls join they're not like 90 degrees they're just
2: they just because it's all mud and stone i think it's just build it the way in it and it, they would have i suppose if you leave Ad, left adelaide and uh we're heading up and you get Oodnad, well Oodnad, nothing was around at the time but you get Oodnad out Data country and uh you think oh shit i forgot me set square you're not going back to get it, are you?
1: <laughs> I just, I'm like, that is exactly the kind of house I would build though in 2022. <laughs> like if I have somebody ask me to build something, whenever I've been out, you know, um, building new fences and there's that person and they're sighting in the fence. And so you look at like one steel picket and then you look down and you're supposed to, like squint one eye. And I'm like, yep, yeah, yeah, it's all in line. And someone else will come and check it and be like, that's not straight at all. Like I still don't, I can't do it. So.
2: Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's, it's got its characters. It's a real quirky little like house, I suppose. It's everything's everything is just got to be handmade. You can't just go and put anything from town in it. It's got to be all done because it's so out of square.
1: That's pretty cool. Um, although, yeah, I guess like you said, it can be a bit of a pain at sometimes, but still.
2: Yeah, it is, and 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 but and it's a great old house. Like it's got a lot of character to it.
1: Oh, it's so beautiful! I'm so glad we're sitting here to record. So you mentioned, I suppose, this episode we're going to be talking a bit about the story of Andulia, and with yeah, this year being 150 years, and most of that 150 years, um, Andulia has been owned and and managed by the Hayes family, but there was another family or or person or people that. Uh, originally settled Undoia. So can you tell, take some time and tell us about them?
2: Um, Smith and Baggett owned Undoia originally. They took the lease up. Were they just two fellas, sorry? Uh, yes. And they come out of Adelaide, um, and they brought their stock up and I presume to, um, supply the Overland Telegraph station with, or the line with beef. And in the old diaries, uh, every time they killed an animal, they write the brand name down and everything else and who owned it. It's, it's really interesting reading the old diaries on it. And then um, they sort of sold it and Tenant and & Love owned it for a, a short time and they had a few managers on on Undoya at the time, over the period of time, from 1872 right through until um, – well, we, Hayes has bought Undoya in 1906, seven years and um, we've been here ever since. We've been in the district since 1884 because the family came through replacing the wooden telegraph line. With the, um, with the German made Offenheimer, I think that's the right word, um, steel telegraph pole. And, um, their contract went through from pretty well sort of Port Augusta area right through to Newcastle Waters. And, um, the old lady, old Mary Hayes, she got to, got to uh, Newcastle Waters and it was, it was a father and some father and mother. Had the contract, but they had uh, th- six kids. One, my great grandfather was born on the road up at Farina. He was a fair way behind his siblings, and they all had their own teams bringing up the telegraph poles, and um, and then they were bullock teams too at that stage. And um, any anyway, rate, she got they got up to Newcastle Waters, and she dug a um, bohemia tree out from up there. And on their return journey, they pulled up at Mount Burrell. Which at the time was uh, owned by Sir Thomas Elder, which is Elders, and um, in that they were dam sinking and fencing for him down there, and um, in that she planted this Bohemia tree there because she carried it back in a billy can. She planted it there, and it's the only one in the district still growing. Like it's as you drive into Maryvale Homestead, it's still there, and Maryvale Homestead's named after her, like Mary Hayes, yeah.
1: So, you guys have just got history all over the territory.
2: Yeah, we've been we've been here for a while.
1: <laughs> and there's a fair few of you getting around now as well, yeah. um, which we'll get to that in a little bit. But I just want to come back to Smith & Bagot for a minute, just in case any of our listeners aren't familiar with what was going on in Australia at that time, so around 1972. You 1872. Said, oh, sorry, 1872, <laughs> not bad. Um, the Overland Telegraph Line, what was that and what? Yeah, what was going on there?
2: That was our connection to England with the Morse Morse code, um, and it was sort of through South Australia up through up to Darwin and then on, off into the <laughs> into the unknown through <laughs> Indonesia into yeah, and like on, on a on a single wire, I suppose.
1: Okay, so it's kind of like look would have looked like power lines or something, or like it the was old one, telephone. Yeah, line? It was just yeah.
2: one wire all the way through way, way up. Yeah, and. Um, Modern day, I suppose, in the days back then of, it would have been the modern day bloody mobile phone.
1: Fancy (laughs) new technology. And so these fellas come up, um, to supply beef, not to necessarily install the line. No,
2: they came up to supply beef and to take up pastoral land. They had heard about it being pretty good pastoral land. So they came up and and opened up, it opened up Undoey and Owen Springs.
1: I wonder what the process was back then, because you said like it's the first pastoral lease in the Northern Territory, like, how do you go about just saying like, "Hey, can I have this"? Like, I wonder what they had to do. Is any of that in their diaries?
2: Um, I probably is, but I haven't got there yet. But because um, they, they're talking about it and they're walking, because see, Gilbert Gilbert took up Owen Springs, and they were they were coming up with him at the same time. And in in our family history, we've sort of had we owned a few joints around at the time. We owned when once we got up here, we had Mary, we ended up owning Maryvale, Deep Well. Owen Springs and Undoia, and, um, and then my great grandfather, his siblings all started falling off the perch and he sort of took it all on. And, um, we've had governments trying to take Undoia at the times and like, and, cause Undoia was a lot bigger place. Um, and we've had bits of it compulsory acquired, I suppose, over the years and it's down to a pretty small joint nowadays.
1: Yeah. So, cause you're just about 30 Ks out of Alice Springs and, well, the homestead, sorry, but Undoja goes right to Alice Springs and around it a bit. Yeah,
2: the homestead's only 13 Ks from Alice. Oh, really? Yeah, it's pretty close. It's, do... it's bloody handy for I me, mean, Nicole and I, with kids. Like, yeah. Because our kids have been, we've have been able to take them to town for school. If you've got no staff over a weekend or anything, well, you can go to town and have a pizza. It's pretty damn good, really. Yeah, it is.
1: <laughs> well, Speaking of how convenient it is that you're this close to town, for the first time in the history of the podcast today, I set up all the gear and realised I was missing the memory card. So I was able to just pop back into town home and pick up the memory card. So <laughs> thank God that happened here and not when I'm like 12 hours from the nearest town or from where I live. Um, so is that the di- – this Smith & magnet is that the diary that you showed me a few weeks ago where you got a copy of it? And I think – because I think I remember you pointing out the um, – The line saying like you know butchered this beast and this is the brand and stuff yeah
2: yeah that's and that's that's it's it's the extract actually of the old diaries like it's a photocopied um Mm -hmm. two book series and um or two diaries but one's 1872 73 and the other one's 76 70 up to 78 i think it goes through to i think the original diaries are actually in um adelaide um archives
1: it's just so amazing what's like the craziest thing you've read in the diary, or the most interesting?
2: Uh, I find the whole lot of it interesting. It's, v- it's, it, yeah. I, I just, I, I, I'm, I, I like history. I suppose I'm, I'm fascinated by the. And I think to myself, you know, you're pretty, pretty gutsy to come up this part of the world. Not much around. Pretty and, gutsy.
1: And they would have had to drove their cattle up here back then, wouldn't they? Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: From reading their diary entries, what? Can you describe to us what life was like for them back then, I guess, or, like, what was what were the kind of things they were writing about?
2: Uh, he was just writing about when they got going in the mornings, uh, bringing the cattle up, how the cattle were, walked along, um, and just going back, bringing up stores, those sort of things, and just, yeah, just generally run of the mill what, what we pretty well do today, but <laughs> a long time ago stuff.
1: Yeah. I'm just thinking we might have to um, grab the diary later on and you can – pick a few passages for you to read <laughs> story time with Ben Hayes <laughs> and so after a couple of years they do you know why they let go of the lease or sold it or moved on
2: no i don't um couldn't tell you actually interesting the um, yeah. mystery yeah it is a bit of a mystery i i, I think they um because Baggett, the bloke that owned it originally, he was a he was a fairly prominent businessman in Adelaide. There's a when you get into, into South Australia, drive around Adelaide, there's a lot of Baggett roads. Baggett's Baggett's a very prominent name, and whether he w- was financing something else and went somewhere else with his money or don't know, don't know. I know he died. He, he, he um and they don't know what happened to him, but he died up around Yatla in in north, like in Adelaide. Um, yeah, don't know much more about him, really.
1: Interesting. Well, if you've got any history buffs listening and you guys want to do some investigation, would love to know what you guys can find out. So after they moved on, who came along next?
2: Uh, Tenant Love. Um, and Tenant Love, they owned Love's Creek as well at the same time, or around the same time. Um, did they name
1: Tenant Creek after the tenant fella? Do you reckon?
2: No, I don't think. Why oh. good. could have. I have no idea. Um, because and and but they had uh, Benstead was managing under here. Uh, they had a few managers here for a few years, like in 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 that interim, I suppose. Um, Ross was here for a while too, and then um, yeah, and then we parked along and bought the joint. And then when once we bought it, it um, took us. A, well, my grandfather and his family moved here, uh, I think in nineteen in the twenties come up from Maryvale he, he he used to always talk about it and he actually showed us a spot where they camped on their way up here and um yeah if we've sort of poked around and they did. they had a lot of trouble in the in the in the period of the war years like in the in the first world war years because the government wanted to acquire and do or take it off of a hazes and they wanted to breed horses here and for the indian remounts we used to breed a lot of horses here. Even as a kid, we used to have a lot of horses here. We used to have horse sales here yearly. Yeah. We, we've always had a lot here at the time, but we're not so many anymore, but yeah, used to always have plenty of ponies here.
1: So the family took over Andoya 1906, 1907. And so World War two coming along, maybe. You know. First
2: World War. Oh, so, oh well, wow,
1: I'm on a roll today. <laughs> I've had two cups of tea. I should be quite perky. Um, so World War one, sorry. They, what were these Indian remounts, sorry? Just to, just in case anyone else is the, also. the,
2: uh, the, the armies, I suppose, were not mechanized, mechanized like they are now, like with tanks and stuff. They had horses, did all the heavy pulling and stuff. So, uh, and, and Andoya at the time, we supplied a lot of horses for the Indian remounts to send them over into the, to their army. And, um, there was a, a bloke in this actually worked at Andoya that broke a horse in at Andoya you sent horses to the first world war got into Egypt and he was the bloke joined up in the first world war bloke by the name of Alf Draper and uh, he was issued a horse over there in Egypt that he'd broke in here at undoya which is a, I find a very uncanny very is it really uh, yeah, it's just a bit strange, sort of thing, with the mid, like thousands of men and horses that went across. He's got one that he broke in at Undoja.
1: It's, it's like no matter how big the world is, it's also a very small place, but yeah, that the what are the chances of that happening, yeah, really, that's right. when you think about it? So, tell me about this time. So, um, Undoja would have been about 30 something years old when the family took over it, um, or purchased it, so it's you know. Still relatively young, but also for that time, quite well established because there would have been lots of other places that exist today that didn't exist back then at that time. So, um, <laughs> what's this dog's name?
2: Pip. Pip. Chasing butterflies. Pip, pip
1: is chasing butterflies. But I mean, like, what a, what a thing to do on a Saturday morning. Like, just live your best <laughs> life, Pip. You get that butterfly. So, <laughs> so what, um, yeah, so they're there probably like 10 years or so. Um, and then you've got the government being like, we want the place. So how did that all kind of play out?
2: They were about 10 years fighting it. Um, didn't know where they stood. Um, and it was, it, they, they done it tough for a long time there. The shit, they'd ought to have done it tough for <laughs> living up in this part of the world, mm. like. And, um, yeah, so they'd done it for tough. And eventually they, they, um, it was actually the sergeant. Like the, the police sergeant that was pushing hard to get the property. And, um, yeah, and he must have moved on. I have no idea why, but it's, it it just, in about 1923, I think it all sort of come up, come quietened down and they, they got going again.
1: When you're talking about like the, you know, they're trying to have the compulsory acquisition, it sounds, it just reminds me of that movie, The Castle, Mm -hmm. where the airport is trying to take like, the, is it the Kerrigan's um, home, you know, that and I think that's the only other case of compulsory acquisition I've really kind of heard of, which obviously is a fictional one. But you'd think if you wanted, if there were already a lot of horses here and the government needed horses and they wanted the horses to be raised here, couldn't you just give the family a contract and just like kind of get the service? Why would you have to take over the whole joint?
2: I don't know. It's, <laughs> and I didn't live in that era, so I wouldn't have a clue. Um
1: Are you sure? Because you kind of look like that. (laughs) Yeah,
2: thanks. That's my wife making me look like that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I have no idea. Um, But it's, it's and you know, as a pastoral family or pastoralists, we've always got our issues. But we have, even today, we have issues with different things. They've had issues, we've had issues, and it's always, it's just an ongoing problem um, that you've got to live with. It's just part and parcel of being a farmer, I suppose, or pastoralist, it's all... There's always something sticking its head up that you...
1: Yeah, and I suppose there's an extra layer of issues being on a pastoral lease because this is leasehold, not freehold country. So, you know, it, it comes with a whole different set of kind of terms and rules and yeah. restrictions than if somebody just went and bought a farm down south that's freehold and they own it they can pretty much do what they want with it, like it's theirs,
2: whereas... Yeah, that's right. We, we, we're we governed by the, what the government wants us to do, like being being a... Uh, pastoral lease, yeah,
1: mm, and like you own it, but in a way, like you don't own it. I mean, yeah. you do, but it's not guaranteed that you can. No,
2: that's right. And yeah. and I always think about, and they always bang on about how we rape and pillage the land, and it's like undo you. Well, not only undo, but pastoralists in the territory had a set stocking rate they had to maintain, and that was a government policy. So if it, if it, for example, if the government had said that you have to run five thousand head of cattle on your property, you had to do it. No matter if you had a bloody drought that was hard as hell, you still had to maintain those numbers. And it's like, so, but that was a government policy, and they brought it on us. And now people say you degraded the land. Well, yeah, we did, but that was a government policy. We had to do that. Like that's to keep the leases. And there was a um, there's a bloke, a government agronomist back in the sixties before my time. I'll admit, but I do read a bit of stuff and he's a bloke by the name of George Chippendale, and he came in this part of the world, and he's a government agronomist and everything else, and he bagged the shit out of pastures in the 60s drought, and he said the Mulga country was buggered, it had never come back, never recover, and everything else. It rained, it broke, the drought broke, and then we had the massive seasons in the 70s. He nicked off, he was never brought back to answer his questions. And I always think to myself, that usually happens. You get old families or old people that have here, seen it. My grandfather always used to say, pastoralism opened this country up. Um, when you see old photos of the central Australia and there's not a tree in sight, there's hardly a bloody tree, and then you go and have a look now and you think, there's a lot of trees around. We've, and that's since 150 years. So there's a hell of a lot of trees that have grown in the district. And um, my grandfather always, he was a... Um, like a very smart man on, on stuff. And he and he used to say that with cattle in the area, the soil when they first came into the district was um, like a hard crust on it and, and water wouldn't penetrate. But with cattle in the cattle in the area and hard hooved animals, they broke the soil apart, which then in a roundabout way created its own little ponding bank. When so, when the wind blew the grass around, it um, the seed could actually sit in the cattle tracks. So when you got a rain, it'd germinate. And he 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 has documented where cattle tracks had grass growing out of them. So that sort of broke this. Cru- if you know what I mean, like it got got the soil going.
1: I think whenever these conversations come up, or or these comments are made. Context is so important because I know when I was learning a bit about pastoralism and like the history of it in WA and there's a lot of flogged out country and you know, you're just like, oh bloody hell, they flogged. But then when you take the time to learn like people, like there were, there's, you need the context, you know, like you said, there were government policies, there were people that were also coming out of extremely bad times, like wars, depressions, droughts. So, you know, when you've lived your whole life with nothing, you're probably going to do whatever you can to try and make some money and get some security and, and also, people just did the best they knew how at the time. Like, I'm not saying everyone was perfect. There's definitely, even in today's day and age, with all the knowledge and and the history that we've got, there's still a few dodgy cowboys out there. Like, you know, in any industry, you've got your rogues. But for the most part, everyone's doing the best with the knowledge they have at this point in time. And back and then,
2: right. they didn't have any. And, and you're so right with that. And it's, people went through, like, the depression and everything else. People nowadays have, have never been hungry. Mm. And then, like... Everyone lives on credit, never been hungry, a- until you have something like the depression or a war year. They don't understand what the, the, what people actually went through. Like that's, that's pretty tough going. My grandfather used to get a lot of interviews done over the years. The interviewer would always ask him, do you miss the good old days? And he'd look at them and he'd say, no. He said, we're living in them. He said, we have refrigeration, air conditioning, and vehicles. And it's like, you're dead right.
1: Yeah. Well, that's like during COVID. My siblings and I and cousins and mum and whatnot have kind of, you know, poked a bit of fun at Nana because Nana's 85, 86, and she's, you know, gone to Woolies and buying out all their toilet. You know, she's, you know, kind of like doomsday shopping. And um even when I left on my last trip, you know, she, she'll send me in the mail big things of um, sanitizer and face masks. And also, you know, she's always just buying bulk, like, and we're like, oh, Nana, you know, calm down, like, you know, rah. rah. Nana grew up. And she spent from the age of like four to 15 living in war camps around the world before they were settled in Australia. Like she knows what it's like to go without. And I think like that's why she's like, Oh, she, we're going to run out. We better, go. cause she's lived without, whereas I've never lived without. That's so right. without having that context. And
2: it's a funny because Nicole and I are very similar. I always tell Nicole, keep your f- pantries in that stock because you get a rain, you get, you can't get a town. Mm. Well, our road as a kid growing up here. In the seventy, early, like mid seventies, we had massive seasons and, um, it went a bit, we couldn't get to town for a while and we ended up running out of meat and having to eat some home and pigeons and everything else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's like now the creek, the roads are a lot better. And if the creek comes up, it's probably down by tomorrow morning. You go to town, you get your groceries, but I'm, I'm still a bit of the old school. If I, I've got to have my pantry full. Yeah.
1: The pigeons. Oh, yeah. That's, that's incentive to stock up on yeah, anything. Yeah. Like,
2: that's right. It's a bit like eating a galar, isn't it? Yeah. Chuck a rock in it when you boil it oh. and eat the rock. Throw the galar away.
1: <laughs> I feel like a galar would be better than a pigeon though. I don't, in my mind, pigeons, they're just such dirty birds. Like, at least galars look pretty. You can save the feathers and do something with them. Um, yeah. So I, I, it's actually come up in a few other episodes. Listeners may recall, uh, talking to, I think David Pollock, but also, um, Hamish McTaggart in recent episodes about, you know, yeah, people in the old days, like they were just, it's so easy to kind of be like, oh, look what they did to the country and look what you've done. But you've got to have the context of it. Like, And, and
2: that's, and young people that are having a crack at pastoralists don't have that context. They don't understand why. It was done. Mm. And, and that's, and, and a lot of records have been lost. And it's, it's unbelievable when it's like, well, just pull your head in a bit. Just yeah. have this, go and research it a bit. Nicole and I got a bit annoyed the other day because they were talking in, in town on the radio about, the, and they were blaming pastoralists for introducing buffle grass in central Australia. Like, if I'm a cow, I go, like, I like, as a pastoral, I like buffalo grass, but if I'm a cow, I'm not going to just eat buffle grass. I want to eat a bit of, different thing. It's a bit like a human. They want to eat a bit of steak, a bit of a roast, and a bit of ice cream, a bit of whatever. So I don't want to be just eating buffalo and only buffalo. But people in town blame pastoralists for introducing buffalo and, and causing all the issues of that. We manage buffalo because our cattle chew it. National parks don't manage it. Exactly, yeah. And that's why they have issues with it.
1: And buffalo. I don't know about in this part of the world, but uh, again, in the Jodie and Hamish Mittaggart episode, when they're talking about after they had these big floods, she said the buffaloes the only thing that kept their country together. It like stabilized it for a long time. Like everything has, you know, there's shades of grey. It's not black and white. No,
2: that's right. And see, the buffalo originally was introduced into Central Australia from the old Afghans mm. with their um sat- like camel packs being counterlined, and and they'd just pull the counterlining out and the seed would fall out and get it going around their holes. and then the conservation or not the con- but the CSIRO started planting it. Around the airport because for jet engines and everything else, and then pastoralists have, were encouraged to implant it. But like on me on Undo, I've never planted it, and it's taken off. And I think a lot of the reason why it has taken off, and, and I might be really wrong, but just my my personal assumption is we don't have the rabbits like we used to. The rabbits used to keep it chewed down, so we don't have them anymore. And then I have heard whispers where they're talking about bringing our biological thing into Central Australia to. To uh, eradicate buffle grass and be like, oh, no, and it'd be like, oh geez, it'd be like the crane toads or something else. it would be, and it, it could wipe, it not only wipe the buffle, it could wipe our ghost gums. It could wipe, they want to be bloody careful what yeah, if they do. Like,
1: yeah. Because like, like we keep saying, it's everyone's with the best, they're doing their best with what they know. So bringing in buffle at the time, they thought they were making, you know, a good choice, which I still think. Well, I know I'm camp. I'm Team Buffalo, but it's not like you know, with cane toads at the time, like they thought it was a good idea. It's not like if we were sitting here today and say something that we know is very difficult to manage, say like gamba grass. If you're like, oh, we're going to introduce that into the Kimberley, well then, like we know enough about it, we've got. Um, empirical evidence, we've got history, we've got stuff to look back on to be like, Hey, we've got a fair idea of how this is going to play out. That if you did it, you could be like, okay, well, that was a stupid choice. But back then, like you didn't know what was going to. No, that's right. We're just having a crack. That's so right. yeah.
2: And we were very lucky when Kleesi virus got off a of Wardang island and come into, into mainland Australia that it didn't affect too much else, but it wiped our rabbits and it was bloody Christ. that did because it. Our country now is booming without the rabbits. Mm. There, there is pockets of rabbits around and they come and go. But Klesivirus comes and goes too and it keeps, they start getting a few numbers of them and it just wipes them out again, which is bloody good.
1: Wish they would make one of those for mice. Oh my God.
2: Oh yeah, they're a bit bad at the moment, aren't they, little <laughs> yeah. shits? Yeah.
1: Oh, I love it because they do do little shits. <laughs> and
2: stinking things, are they? I, yeah, they're not yes, good. Sir.
1: Yesterday, I was in Coles and buying some boxes of those like, uh, Cadbury fa- favorites, like those gift packs, and I'm pulling a few out of the tray, and then like, as so I pull one out, and the box behind it just chewed out by mice, and like the other three boxes, and luckily, there was a lady out there. I was like, I'm um, sorry, ma'am. I think you've got a mice problem. Like, They chewed right through the box and
2: all through the chocolate. <laughs> Pretty good advertising, though, were not it? Favorites, yeah. even the mice like them. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if I've eaten the bloody Turkish delight one in there.
1: Hey, that's my
2: favourite. <laughs> that's
1: why we would be good friends though, because you know I'm never going to fight you for the other chocolates and I'll pick the ones that you don't like. So there you go. Complimentary. <laughs> um, but coming back to, I love it. Like, I'm so easy to, to take people off on a tangent. My bad. Um, but coming back to the first, so you were saying, that like the, the 10 years of trying to not knowing what's going to happen. So who were the first hazes that were here? Because I know you've got this amazing like museum kind of in your house with all these photos and stuff and you showed it to me the other week but there's a lot of them and a lot of generations in so I'm not even going to pretend like I remember who's in what order but who were the very first haze and how did they end up here?
2: Uh, the very first hazes were uh, William and Mary Hayes. We can track him back to a little town in Wales called Flintshire. Um, and she was born on the banks of the Torrens in Adelaide. Um, her maiden name was Stratford. Um, and then, um, he actually set a record down in South Australia, carting iron ore from a, from a mine down there. And I think it was a tunnel, five tunnel. There was a record, whatever he set it from a mine down there called Sliding Rock into Waiella for the iron works. And then he mo- obviously he was a teamster and he was doing a bit down the southeast. He went up around Blanchwater and up on Mumpy Howie And then he was back and then he ended up with a contract to bring the telegraph line up here. He was a bit nomadic, I suppose you would call him. Um, and I th- he had, uh, six kids, him and her. Um, I'm I was
1: say like he definitely didn't have those six uh, kids. <laughs> <laughs> <no>. <laughs>
2: hey, and I'm just trying to think of the order and I can't remember the order they went, but there was, uh, there was a John. Uh, Jim or G- John, or James, a uh, William, Mary, Lizzie, and, uh, and Edward. Edward was last, which is my great grandfather. Um, and then, um, it's a funny thing, a Hayes family that we are, we carry that names everywhere that either a William or an Edward just, or, or, or end of James, I suppose they keep popping up in our, and, and it's so, it's a funny thing. we all—I had the two Billies down at Deepwell. They were both Williams, and I think young Lukey Hayes is a William. Mm-hmm. And they all get a different name. Like our boy, he's he's an Edward James, and he's Jamie. He's—they <laughs> get given a proper flash name and, and get Never shortened. get to use that. No, I get shortened down to something.
1: <laughs> so they—they they were um, so carting up the the big, like, steel post to mm-hmm. put in. But they were also, like, not – they weren't just carting them up. They were putting them in as well, weren't they? Because I think – oh, No, I
2: think they were carting them. Um, and I think the, to- the telegraph line had people s- uh, putting ah, them up. yeah. But, but they come in sections and they knock together. They're all sort of they, – they're like a telescopic sort of a post. They're not a
1: – Oh, yeah, like, because they would just be too yeah. – like, because they're so tall, it would just be too big to carry too, yeah. in one piece. And you're saying um bullock teams that bullock, they would – Yes,
2: okay. yeah, bullock teams.
1: Do you how many do you know how many were in a team?
2: Oh, I couldn't tell you.
1: I want to go look that up. I'm just thinking so it's I guess it's like a less fancy version of horse and cart. It's just the cow version of horse and cart.
2: Yeah, yeah. And 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 we have actually found around the district, I don't know whether they belong to us or who, but um bullock cues. I don't know What's if you know. That? No. It's, a, it's a shoe. Bullock oh, shoe.
1: Oh shoe. I thought you said cue.
2: I did say cue. Oh. And it's, it's, it's what they call a shoe, but ah. it's, and they only ever on a bullock, when they shoot a bullock, they only ever shod his outside toe.
1: Interesting. I wonder what the reasoning behind that was. Bizarre.
2: I've never shod a bullock. So it wouldn't have.
1: Like. <laughs> uh, you should add yet onto the end of that sentence. Maybe we should do like <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, a reenactment yeah. for the 150th birthday. Oh, well, yeah. we'll get you in the old outfits and we'll get a bullock and yeah, put some shoes on him or some cues on yeah, him. Cues, yeah. So, what, is there anything in their diaries that you found that indicates why they wanted to? Like when, like you said before, they were a bit nomadic. They're working in, like he kind of had a background in a bit of mining, and then you know this contract for the telegraph line. What what's the um, pull to be like? Oh, let's stop here, stay here. It was and old be Mary.
2: The old the old girl put a foot down and said that she's sick of traveling, and they made Maryvale or Mount Burrell at the time made that home. And um, yeah, they, so they poked along there, and then there's been a bit of tragedy in the family down there. Like they, they, my great grandfather Edward, they lost a boy down there. Like he um, tripped over and banged his head, and they actually got him into Adelaide, but he died down there. Um, yeah, so so it's it's a pretty hard, tough life, I'd say, back then. So Maryvale is
1: around Alice Springs, okay. Just south
2: it is. It's its 130 k south. Yeah.
1: Okay, so near Alice. And then I guess so did uh, Andoya come into the family just with, um, as as people do at some point in time, kind of expand and... and
2: Yeah, it did. And and um, I think John Hayes died, one of the sons died early in the piece um, from peritonitis, which was appendix bursting sort of thing. Um, And then... Like the old, old William Hayes, the old original old fellow, he, he was, they used to apparently call him the, the Santa Claus of Central Australia because he had a big long white <laughs> flowing beard and everything else. And, um, he used to, and it's written somewhere, I've, we found it where he used to promote like, it's a big thing nowadays, women in agriculture. And he always used to say that his daughters and his wife were as good as any man. Back in 1907, they interviewed him, old Sergeant Stott, and it's like we've always pushed the women in agriculture thing. But the old girls, when they were at Maryvale, they also used to own a property on the Birdsville track called Calamurna. And um, old Mary Hayes and her daughters walked about a 1,000 sheep from Calamurna to Maryvale. There's one little spot you can cross Lake Eyre, and um, they come across there, and she lost her boots in Lake Eyre in the mud and so she walked really from Lake Eyre to Maryville hunting these sheep along on foot without any shoes, like so pretty big effort. And that that's I look at that sort of stuff, and that's you'd be to bloody do it now, like oh to just hunt cattle like along walking along beyond a mob of sheep. That's a pretty big effort.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um it's really interesting that you raise that because when I uh did an episode with Nikita, which I'm not sure what order these will come out in that that actually got brought up about how tough women were back then but how in recent years it's very like in vogue to be like oh I'm a woman in agriculture and and I'm not saying that it's like again context um there's so much context to it but it's like women were doing a lot back then and then somehow went backwards somewhere and were then put in the kitchen whatever and now and then in recent years there's more of a focus of like I'm a woman I can do what you can do and we're like how did it it wasn't always that way like yeah. Back in and the day, I, women were, did play a bigger roles. So and when did it change? How did it change?
2: So like, I, I, I actually don't think it's ever changed for us as a family because our women folk have put in as hard as any man folk. And you I always, I'll use the analogy that we might be the head of the house, but the woman of the neck that turns it. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and at the end of the day, we are like, I'm nothing without Nicole helping me. And, and like we need their women help. And we bounce things off each other. And even my daughter's helping me. Like it's, it's part and parcel. It's, I look at like, like Nikita, for example, or any of my girls, but they can, like Nikita can weld. She can help me cut up a beast. She's, she's a very capable girl, a lot more capable than somebody in the city. But it's, it's part and parcel living on the, out in the bush in a family environment. You sort of got to pull your weight to help in the, in the, in the business, I suppose, what it is. Mm. It's not a free ride.
1: Yeah, it's it's very interesting because like the the lived experiences of some people, and then just the general narrative that we hear in in industry or in society is like there's there's been a shift at some point, and then it's changing, and it's yeah, it's um very interesting. But I love that story about her walking barefoot for yeah, God,
2: a, oh, and in this country, like yeah, you in, hope in any country, like yeah, you wouldn't hope there's not many prickles around, wouldn't you? Yeah, oh my God, imagine you have to go through a big oh. oh. <laughs> That would be but, and, and that's the thing, they were they were very resilient, very tough women, I suppose, and but they didn't know any better.
1: I was to say, yeah, they wouldn't know, it's, it's, know it's a, any different.
2: And it's a funny thing because us blokes Andoya's now solar, everything pretty well on, on well, all my balls are solar, the homestead's on solar. Before I went to solar, with generate generator running and, and you'd get up in the morning, you'd start your generator and you have your brecchi and everything else and off you'd go and the, You'd go to work and Nicole would turn the generator off and take the kids to school and everything else. And even if and in the middle of summer you'd get home and she'd be sitting in an office sweating a bloody ring off poor bugger and you'd go around boards with an air-conditioned car and you'd get home and you'd turn the engine on to have the air conditioning in the house and it's like, we were cruel to our women, yeah. <laughs> Un, unbeknownst. <laughs> Not letting her have our condor in the middle of the day. <laughs> yeah, and now she's got air con all the time. She's bloody spoiled, isn't she? <laughs>
1: Oh gosh. And so, so Mary and William, so the originals, the originals so had Maryvale. and then was it, did they purchase Undoia or was it one of the children that would have No, purchased- they
2: purchased it. It a family, I suppose. Families, yeah. Hay, I think it was Hayes and Sons.
1: Yeah. So they were still well, Hayes, around there. family. Hayes family. Though, yeah. yeah, Hayes
2: and family. And, um, yeah, so they purchased it. And then, um, yeah, they just sort of, um, had Mary, had Undoia, but had also before that they had Deep World and Owen Springs, and then uh, they ended up selling Owen Springs to S- Sydney Kidman, and then purchased that back off him down the track, sort of thing. And then Undoolia, my grandfather bought Undoia off of his family, like he, him and my grandmother bought it themselves, and and um, and then his sisters, one one sister married uh, Harry Bloomfield, was out at Loves Creek, um, the, another two sisters ended up at Owen Springs. And one of his one of his brothers died at at Maryvale or on the way down, Young Willie, and then his old another brother, Strat. He was sort of floated around. He had Clarevale for a while. He had a tooler for a bit. He he floated around the district near Boron Plant, sort of thing.
1: Some yeah, I need like a a whiteboard and a, (laughs) a float up for this. Hey, so the story you mentioned just before though about I think it was Edward was it Edward who lost a child. Or one of Edward's siblings. No, um,
2: when well, you said the yeah, the yeah, young sorry, kid yeah, that? yeah, Edward's, yeah, which is my great grandfather. Yeah, when when young Willie tripped over and knocked his head down at um, Maryvale, uh, Edward, my great grandfather, he he rode a horse into Alice Well, got on the um, repeater down to Adelaide to a doctor. The doctor would reply he'd ride from Alice Well back to Maryvale, which is a bloody long ride. What did the doctor told him? Didn't work. Three times he rode in Dallas. Well, down to Adelaide with a message. The, the fourth time or third, fourth time, the doctor said, "Bring him south." So when he got home, he said to his follower, "He said, mate, grab the grab the um, um, buggy horses. We got to we got to go to Adelaide with this kid." Found a um, one broken buggy horse. The other one was unbroken. They strapped him into the buggy and off they went. And a, the kid died in Adelaide, but he also done a bloody mean feat because um, his wife was uh, Jane Doolan. They she was actually they came from Blackall, and her stepfather was Sam Nicker, and they he had something to do with the Tree of Knowledge. Um, around here somewhere, I have a letter from to Sam Nicker from Breakemarrant, and um, any rate, he he ended up in. Uh, uh, in Port Augusta, heard about the gold strike at Old Oldtunga. Came up to Oldtunga, and then he had Ryan's Well, um, or in the gardens. He, that's how the gardens gets its name, because um, he was supplying the miners with fruit and vegetables. Him and his wife, old Granny Nicker, and Jane Doolan was a stepdaughter, and um, my great grandfather Edward Hayes. He married her, and she was up visiting her family at Ryan's Well up near Aileron, just the side of Aileron, and um. Buggy horses bolted with her and, and flicked her out of the buggy and wounded her a bit. And they got word to him down at Maryvale that, that she wasn't, she'd had an accident. So he hopped on a pony or on a horse. He rode from Maryvale to Alice Springs, swapped horse straight up to Ryan's Well in the day. And if anyone knows distances, that's a huge distance. I think Maryvale's 130k south and Aylor, well, Aylor is just to this side, so it's probably 100 and. 120k's north, I say Ryan's well would be. So he, he's done a bloody big ride.
1: Just a, just a word that his yeah. wife is injured. Woon,
2: yeah, just that she's wounded. Oh, so. gosh. And
1: how did she, what happened? Was uh, she okay?
2: No, she came alright. Yeah, she came alright. So you think, oh, Jesus, you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder
1: if next time that happened, he's like, oh, yeah. I might just wait for the next message before I ride another like 250k's to see if you're okay.
2: <laughs> and, and like, you're obviously a bit hardened up to saddle riding, aren't you? Because you'd ever yeah. saw otherwise. Oh,
1: my gosh. That would be. Yeah, I struggle on, like, a 20K ride. So, mm. to do 250 and to know that
2: – and
1: to do it under those conditions, I've been like, am I going to get there and my wife will be dead? Or, well, mm. you know, like, what's happening? That All that anxiety the whole time. Yeah,
2: that's right. That's yeah.
1: um. Okay, so Edward and Jane – so, is Edward your great-grandfather? Yep. Okay, so your grandfather is then
2: – He's an Edward also.
1: Oh, okay, well, there we go. And so, he-, he bought the station – so, your grandfather bought the station off your great
2: grandfather? Yes. Okay. Off the family, yep. Yeah. Yep. So he took it off. My grandmother. My grandmother was a um, Bloomfield. Uh, she was born at Udnidatta, Um but her hus- her father and mother had Loves Creek, and obviously my 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 grandfather married my, Edward Hayes. My grandfather married a, a Jean Bloomfield. And my grandfather's sister, Mary, married Jean's brother Harry, sort of thing. So they swapped brother and sister, I suppose. <laughs> but there wouldn't have been too many choices around back then either.
1: Well, I'm just wondering now, like when you were a young fella and starting to date, did you have to draw out a family tree and I guess DNA testing wasn't really around back then. Like how did you go dating in this district wondering if it's some, you know, second or third cousin? Uh, or a first at that, or was that okay back in those days?
2: <laughs> take them to a party somewhere to see how many toes they got. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, you lucky yeah. in the city.
1: I just um yeah, like there's. I asked Nikita about that as well. I was like, there's the the branches of your family tree are so there's so many of them that even uh, we're talking about like another young fellow in town and like. With different last names, but you can trace them back to like one of the ladies in your family. And you're like, Oh, even if it was that far back down the tree, you still probably wouldn't want
0: yeah, to be making
1: like, you that's know, gooey
2: eyes. And that's like my grandmother, her, her, um, father, like he, he, he was working for Joe Braden at Todd Morton loading the train at Udinadatta. And, uh, he got gored and dropped his guts out. And the nurse at Udinadatta at the time, she pushed his guts back in, boiled up a horsehair and stitched him back up. Well, he married her daughter. So, so he married the nurse's daughter, and that's where the Cunoth and Bloomfield families meet right there, sort of thing. And then her brothers were Sonny and Trot, so there's a lot of Cunoths in that district.
1: I was just saying, like, I know that name too. I know the Bloomfield name. I know the, um, I don't know what the other one, some of the other ones you were saying. I was like, they're all still Hmm. in the
2: district, so. Yeah. Yeah, they're all still around.
1: Yeah, you need all your kids to, you'd be like, no, you can't date within the territory. You need to leave. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want any six-toed kids in our family. No, that's right. <laughs> so you're, tell me, I guess, tell me a bit about what you know of, uh, I know, I mean, let's be honest, there's 150 years. There's so much we could talk about, Adam, do you? But some of, I guess, the changes that have happened or what was it like for the previous Hayes generations to be here and what was life, you know, how did it change for them? Or even just to be honest, I love the yarns, like you just said about who, who was it that your granddad or you my, that that got his
2: guts? Oh, that was my great grandfather, yeah, on my grandmother's side. Oh, Louis Louis Bloomfield.
1: Yeah, I love that. Like I know that's just a random story, but I love all these stories as well. So just yeah, it, just, and
2: it's it's one of them things, I suppose. Uh, every generation does it easier than the previous, and I look at like f- for us as growing up as kids and stuff, we've had a wow of a time. It's never – it's not work unless it's – if you don't enjoy it. We enjoy it. It's a hobby. Who else gets to go and do their hobby every day? Not many people. And
1: make money from it. Yeah.
2: And, and I always think to myself, money's not the be-all and end-all. Family's more important than your buck's. You gotta, you gotta have good, good life. Enjoy it. You only get one crack at it. You're not coming back at it a second time. Well, I don't, I don't know of anyone to come back and tell us anyway.
1: (laughs) Or if they did, they came back as a cow and they're like, don't kill me. Don't kill me. It's me, your great, great, great grandfather. Like, and you're like, ah, put that one on the truck
2: (laughs) (laughs) and get rid of that one.
1: So where do you think that, um, mentality came from though? Because I feel like it's only in recent kind of generations or the last generation that, society in general is kind of having this shift to have more of a focus on quality of life rather than because for so many of the previous generations it was about survival and trying to build some kind of future security and and I think that played through. You know, we hear stories of, you know, great – grand you know, from those generations of men being hard and not showing much love and affection, it was all about work and rah, rah, rah. So, and I guess it, then you just – whatever you're taught or whatever you see growing up kind of just follows on from that. So, where do you think the shift happened in the Hayes family? Or have they always been, had a big focus on
2: family? Always oh, had a big focus on family. Like real, they've always been family orientated. Like they's, I actually have a saying and, and, um, it's always, um, friends come and go, families forever. And it's, 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 you've got to stick together to do anything in life. It's, it's, that's part and parcel of life. And it comes back to like old William Hayes talking how, how he's, he valued his daughter so much in, and they could shoe an out horse. They could, Butcher a beast, they could fence, they could do anything that any man could do. Like, so it's, it's just family values, I suppose, and how it all comes about. And it's, there, there's two, there's, I know, I, I look at, I look at society in general, I suppose, and there's two forms of wealth. There's monetary wealth, or there's family wealth. And I know what I'd rather have. Oh, you're so wise,
1: Ben. <laughs> I love this. Well, not expected at all, but I absolutely love this train of thought. Um, cause I think it's so important and, and, the overarching, I think, like influence in society today is that, you know, it's all about gotta make more money, gotta, you know, have that security. And not only and it's not even just about having um security, it's about, well, like there's no end point in sight, I think for a lot of people, like, oh, when I get a six figure salary, like I'll be, you know, in this house paid off, I'll be fine. But then it's like, oh, I've almost paid off this house. I better buy an investment property. I better do this. I better do that. Like there's it never stops. No, it so, doesn't.
2: And, and and that's the thing, like it it doesn't stop, and and where do you want to get in life? And and I always think to myself, those wealthy people have only got friends hanging around because they have got money, mm. so they're not real friends. They're only hanging around as if you fall, something falls out of their pocket, so they can pick it up and think they're wealthy themselves. Whereas wealth is your family and also your your health.
1: Yes, that's what my nan always says. Your health is your wealth. Yeah, it is. So and and you know, like it, I think it's a balance. Which it seems like, obviously I, I don't know all the ins and outs, but that you, your family has struck here is that you've got a successful business that is financially viable. Um, but then you've got that quality of life where you've got your downtime, your family time. Is that right balance. Whereas I think a lot of people maybe have this idea that, oh, if I take too much, if I take a step back, if I put more emphasis on family time, like the business is just going to crumble and we'll go broke or whatever. And,
2: and, and it's, it's, it's finding that balance. Um, Cause family comes first. Family is everything, but you also got to provide for them. Mm. So you got to find that balance. And it's, you can't go to every race meeting. You can't go to every camp draft. You can't, sometimes you got to go to work and to provide for your family. So you not sometimes you have to go and also provide for your family. Otherwise you got nothing.
1: I love that you are able to read. So he be a great, great great was William you like three times and oh, we're gonna get confused if I have to count um but William the 1.0 the original Hayes being able to read his Diaries and then I know you said earlier all the people in your family um like you've got Diaries from basically
2: donkeys mm-hmm. ears like I still write a diary every day today yeah
1: which is incredible and it's not just a um I know some of like the entries you know are like you know did this today or did that today like but in saying that it's not just a a catalogue of the actual activities they did that day. There's the thoughts and perspectives, yeah. and like you said, he spoke about his daughters and what important roles they played. How how has that been for you to be able to go back and see over the generations how the Hayes family have talked about? It's actually the, good. Each it's, other? it's
2: it's actually it it sort of makes you well not, it makes you proud to be able to go back and see all that, and it's archived and everything else, and, it's, and you think. You've achieved, as a family, we've achieved a fair, fair bit. Like we've, um, we get on very well with our, like our blackfellas down at Sandreas. Like our, they're part of our family. We're part of theirs. That's just part and parcel. That's how we are. It's, 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 it's been a great, um, how could you call it? It's been, it's been a great succession, I suppose.
1: So, like, that sounds like you've got good relationships within the immediate family, and then with. So you're saying like the, you know, local indigenous people, people in town, in the community, like it's just relationships are a very big part of the family.
2: Yeah, it is. Yeah. And like when we were kids growing up to learn to ride, one old bloke, he was like, he taught us how to ride and he, he was family. He's even like, he was part of our family. Like we, we respected him. He respected us and he's just the greatest old bloke. He was, he was real good. And it was a funny thing for me growing up as a kid because I either went with him. Or old, old Billy, and we'd go out mustering, and see, even today, mustering, I, we got trap yards and trap paddocks and stuff on Undoia, and we pretty, um, I would say we're pretty well set up. But I still do a bit of track mustering, and I just like, that's part, I, I like it, I enjoy it, I, you can't find too many people nowadays that can follow tracks.
1: No, tracks. I can't. And, and I've, ever since I heard Nikita first say that you taught her how to read cattle tracks and find cattle that way, I think somebody else was like, Oh, you got to do a podcast with Benny Hayes because he still tracks cattle. I was like, I want to, yeah.
2: Yeah. And it's just, it's just part and parcel of life. It's just, but i I've not only do you track cattle, you track vehicles that are driving around your property. You, it, it tracks tell you what's happening. It's like a book. They tell you what's happening on your property. And if you, if you can't track, I think, geez, you're lost.
1: I just think it's like, there's so many, I guess, like traditions, I suppose, or older practices that you're carrying through. And just because something's old and has been done and is a tradition, doesn't necessarily mean it should still be and still exist. But finding things like that, I think, like there's a lot of value in that. Whereas you know, maybe some of the old, maybe not in this family, but there's a lot of things from that people did in the past that you're like, oh yeah, that was tradition, but probably like that one, you know? Yeah,
2: and then, float away
1: now, but these kind of things. And like, for
2: me, like the other day, we've been dropping weaners into a paddock, and I'm, I'm just going around and make sure there's nothing hanging in corners and everything else. And I and I've seen cattle tracks in another paddock that are not meant to be there. So you got to go and find them, and you, the best way to find them is follow their track. It's going to lead to their feet, and you just follow fresh tracks, and then, then you get them. At, so, and then these weaners, I've actually found them, and you bring them back and put them into the back where they're meant to be sort of thing. So otherwise, poor bloody things, get in a corner and perish or something, and that's the biggest no-no in our industry is perishing cattle. The, that's the, you're an absolute jackaroo if you perish cattle.
1: Mm. Yeah, there's not really
2: mm.
1: many excuses that would fly for that. There's none. But to think that, you know, like you're probably not even thinking about the fact that I okay, can't, I'm going to track these cattle. It's just something you do, but it's also just something you do because it's been passed down the generations. Whereas that's probably one of the, I suppose that's the beauty of being are we sixth generation, probably.
2: I'm the fifth. That's fifth. Okay. Nikita's the, kids are the sixth. Yeah, the kids are the sixth. sixth. And now we've got little Wiley. He's the seventh.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Whereas. There's not, relative to the number of properties in Australia, there's not that many that are still in the same family today that, you know, for, for that same period of time. So, when there's, every time a property changes hands, a little bit of knowledge is lost and a little bit, you know, this or, you know, or when you've got someone like me that has no background and then you come into the industry and you can, you just got to learn what you learn. There's so many things that I guess aren't passed on or that can be lost in that transition. Whereas that's the beauty of um, one of the advantages of, being, you know, fifth generation is that you're just getting all these things that are
2: yeah, and we're getting them passed down to us and passed through, yeah, to us and and and,
1: stuff. and if not passed down verbally and by being shown by the people that are there with you in that same generation or still alive at the same time you are, you can still be learning things from the diaries as well.
2: Yeah, that's right, and and that's that's how it all works, I suppose. Um And that was a part and parcel of as a kid growing up. Like as a kid growing up, you you're bloody useless. You think you're pretty smart, but you're absolutely useless, and you're a bloody thorn on somebody's side. But you'd go with either Dad or Old Billy or uh, um, Dad's other brother Mickey, and you'd go out mustering, and they're riding along and they're tracking an animal, and you're like, oh, "What are they doing?" Like, and then as you get a bit, of, you take, you start taking a bit of nolly no, uh, notice of that, I suppose, and then and then you pick it up yourself, and it's it's and it's a and it's a funny thing because. To track an animal or to any sort of animal, and I track shitloads of animals. I, I don't only just track cattle, I track in a lot of different things all the time. And it's, it's, um, it's a skill that you can, t- it's a, it's a hard skill to teach because, um, you can teach it, but it's, it's a one, it's a hard one if people don't get their eye picked on it. If you know what I mean, like to find a fresh track and follow a fresh track. Sort of, it's, yeah, it's a diff, it's a funny sort of a, a skill set, I suppose. Yeah.
1: You really need very tuned in observation, I suppose. Yeah. To be yeah. observing what you're doing. It's very easy, I find, for myself to be on autopilot, like driving down the road and like, well, you know, just off in my own little world. And there could be, okay, maybe not like a fire, but you know, a broken fence or something. And sometimes I'll have passed it. And then it's not until I've passed it. I'm like, hang on, did I just see? And then I'll go back or I've just missed it altogether. Yeah. So,
2: well, well, see, that's like when we, when we get a killer, we all, we eat the awful. And we make a nice, uh, like a brain gravy and pour over it. And everyone, and everyone screws their nose up at this brain gravy. But if you want to think like a cow, you got to eat his brain.
1: <laughs> um, I'm so glad that when I came over for dinner the other week, it was not. I, I just, yeah, the first couple of days after a killer, you just won't see me around because. <laughs>
2: Well, not see, t- not until that offal's all gone. See, we like offal; it's yeah. bloody good stuff. A lot of people waste it nowadays. They're too well fed. It yeah. comes back to they're not out. Exactly.
1: Away. Yeah. Exactly. I think it's interesting, though, coming back to the, the the I guess a bit of a theme that's come up is about how each generation um has it easier than the last, and how by being in so far in generations in this family, you've been learning from the previous ones. Just also makes me think, William and Mary, like who like they are talking about them having it harder um who did they learn from how did they figure all this out you know somebody had to figure out
2: yeah i suppose they weren't learned and bounced it off themselves and that comes yeah. back to your women folk in in the industry you you bounce things off your wife and and you, you that's that's how you work i yeah. suppose because th- and that's why women are so important in our industry because you bounce things off each other and you like me and Nicole for example you squeeze things past and you say, oh, what do you think of this? And she'll say, she's usually the head of reason. I'm not. And she'll say, no, that's a stupid idea. Think, okay. We'll try something different, but. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't know. And you just learn from your mistakes. And that's if, if you don't learn from your mistakes, there's something wrong. Don't be in it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And they would have just had no option, I guess, but to try it. Just like, yeah. you know, you can't wait and go, Oh, I'm going to wait and go into town and look in the library. I'm just going to Google this. Like they just have to figure it out.
2: And, and that's the thing. Like, and what I mean by, um, Every generation gets it easier than the previous. I look at my grand, or, well, my great grandparents to go from here to Adelaide on a horse and buggy or bullock and buggy and stuff. Take you a bloody long time. We can go from here to Adelaide now in a, in a day in a car or a plane and
1: and be entertained the whole way with aircon and yes. podcasts and movies yeah. and,
2: and lollies. Uh, we, and it's a we we've we have a we have uh, more um, things in life that are making our life easier, but we've got no time. They had time. We got—I mm. don't know where our time's going, but it's like holy hell. And then I think to myself, you know, my great—sorry, my, my grandparents—they seen the biggest. Well, I would say the biggest change in the world in their li- in that generation because they've gone from a horse and buggy to a man on the moon, telephones, penicillin. They had a massive change in their life, whereas we hit—we've got computers and hit the internet and we haven't.
1: We just keep getting more and more apps. Like, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot, a lot going on. Speaking of the changes that this family has seen over their tenure or their their time here at Undoja, you guys today are um, running Hereford cattle, but that wasn't always the case, was it? That was a bit of a change for the family.
2: It used to be generally a, like a short horn base herd, I suppose. Um, And now, great grandfather, he, um, they were walking a mob of bullocks along and there was a Hereford bullock in the mob that was an exceptionally quiet bullock and uh, it sort of took his fancy and he thought he might get into these Pole Herefords. And um, So in about in the 1940s, and I can't remember what year, not off the top of my head, it would be written around here somewhere, he was in New Zealand and he imported the first Herefords at Unduya from New Zealand from a little town called Gisborne, um, the stud is actually celebrated. I think their hundredth year last year. Um, a, a stud by the name of Willencote, and it's still going today. Um, he imported his bulls and he, and and some heifers out of out of Gisborne, which is on the North Island, but down on on the East Coast. They landed in Melbourne and come up on train in in the 1940s. And I think to myself, what a massive achievement! To do that back then in, in, in that day and age, we've got, we've got all the telecommunications and everything else nowadays. And it, I reckon it'd be a struggle to, to import cattle out of countries. To, it'd be bloody hard to do it back then. And they landed here in central Australia in November. So it's a, to come from New Zealand <laughs> landed or in, swim, like, yeah, <laughs> it's like, geez, it's pretty warm.
1: <laughs> yeah, what a welcome party for him. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, cattle travelling to Andoya, you've also had, um, and, and internationally, so cattle coming in from overseas to Andoya, you've had cattle leave Andoya to go overseas as well.
2: Yeah, we um, we, we truck cattle. Well, our, our markets everywhere, we've supply set so, Western Australia, Queensland, New South, Victoria, South Australia. Um, in the mid, well, early 80s, we sent a shipment of steers to Korea, direct on a plane from Alice Springs Airport straight to Korea. Um, finicky little job. Would love to do it again. Would have another crack at that. Um, but every animal had to be weighed, and there had to be a certain weight, and then the night before they were loading... It rained on them, and then they had to be dried, <laughs> and yeah.
1: like like with a hairdryer or yeah. a blow dryer
2: or something. <laughs> I can't like remember. A, a
1: Cattle a signs, yeah. Um, yeah.
2: And then, yeah, and then cross loading from a truck like a road or actually single. Well, they weren't singles; they were double deckers, but cross loading onto an is different. Yeah, Very how different. many
1: times do you see a road train pulled up right next to a no, big yeah. old aeroplane?
2: Yeah. You don't really do. You? And, yeah, and they had all these little pens in, in the plane and, um, sawdust on the floor. And, yeah, they flew straight from Alice Springs straight to Korea.
1: So how did that opportunity come about?
2: I don't know. It, it was my grandfather organized oh, it through the, Yeah, I think
1: actually. A, keep thinking you're older than you are. You would have been quite young at the time.
2: Yeah, I'm a young fella. Don't worry about that. Well, don't I look, look, don't I look, don't look a day over 60. <laughs> That's my wife doing that to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Makes me grey. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs>
2: But
1: imagine, like in his time. So this is so your grandfather and your great grandfather were both Edwards. Yep. And so it would have been your grandfather's brother, the one that bumped his head and yep. out. yeah. So he's growing up in a time where his dad had to get on a horse and ride, you know, into town just to talk on a radio to the doctor to you know go back and forth. And then by the time he's a you know he's got his own grandchildren. He's putting cattle on an airplane.
2: Yeah, that's what I mean. And sending them across. Yeah, it's in it's in a generation, and that's what I mean. It's it's there's there's a lot of things that happened in that in in those generations, like electricity, refrigeration. It's like holy hell, they they seen a huge change. Massive change. And I suppose we do, but we don't realise it. Our, mm. our great-grandkids will probably come along and, God, geez, they've done it tough. And it's like, <laughs> not really. We're doing it pretty bloody easy. I'm
1: like, oh, I've gone from dial-up internet to Wi-Fi. That's a big ch- – mm. Not, it's I mean, in the scheme of things, it's really not. I think about the same like with my grandma, yeah, especially living through those war times and having nothing. And now she's got a – she can FaceTime me, bless her, or her, her chin and half her face will FaceTime me and <laughs> all the things that she can do now
2: and – and they were very, like, they're very clever, that old generation. Like, they, they are very smart. And, and, and every time we lose them, we're losing a bit of history.
1: Yes. Which is why, you know, I love listening to other podcasts. Um, but being able to talk to people and, and just get, so say we've, we've spoken about a lot of things in this episode, but just having like the stories of you being able to share those stories of, um, which I know, luckily with your family, it's all in diaries and stuff as well, but, to hear the stories of you know people riding, you know how far, when someone was injured, or the um, the gentleman that had his guts kind of you know spilt out of the Uddinadada track and how they would you know boil horsehair and use that as a mm. you know oh, I would There's so many things that you just you wonder how much is lost.
2: Yeah, that's right. That and, we just and, don't know about, and, and, and there is a lot lost. But you had you improvise, and that's that's the thing I suppose nowadays. If you get hurt, you go straight to hospital, whereas. They didn't have, they couldn't go straight to hospital or even with Ian parts. Um, I always remember my father talking about old, the, not Jimmy Turner, the one I know, the one previous to Jim, the Jim Turner, the older one that was out at the garden. And he was coming in from the gardens along the Ross Highway before it was bitumen and, and the fuel petrol car and it was sucking, kept sucking air and it wouldn't run. And, um, somebody got a message in to undo you to, that he was break, kept breaking down and he w- wasn't moving. So my old man went out to sort of help and rescue him. And, and when he got out there, everybody used to carry a tucker box and he was the, the, um, the, the gasket on the fuel bowl had bugged. So he was, he was sticking jam around it and the jam would keep him going a little bit longer no. until, until the jam bloody, perished and all the the petrol perished the jam out of it and then he'd break down so you have to do it again and i think somebody broke down now that they'd, they'd sit on the side of the road and wait for help whereas i'd
1: be eating the jam yeah, yeah.
2: whereas yeah. Uh, you had to improvise he just that's part and parcel of what it was and see bush the bush communities always help your community and and that's what i mean like my father like dad always to- talks about it and he 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 went out and Rescued him and helped him, and that's what you do. And so it's always look at our our local indigenous or somebody if they're driving around and they break down, we help them out. We fix their tire. We fill, give them a bit of fuel. That's 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 community spirit. That's what we do. We don't. We, you don't not. You, you can't not help anybody.
1: But it's just those little stories, though, that may you know not even be anything momentous in your memory in your life. But I'm like bloody fascinated to hear that, and I know so many people listening will as well. Like all these just little moments in time that just build a picture, because the only picture we've got of history is like what we can get in books, and and it's also been very, I suppose, controlled, like with media being so controlled over the I don't know, history or whatever. Whereas now today, kind of anyone can have a platform and get a story out there, and it's a lot, it's a lot more um open than it used to be. So yeah, like you can just hear things that you might not have, yeah, in you know, perspectives and things that. You know, like if someone's um, – oh, who was it? Jacqueline Hammer wrote a book about when her parents were – her dad came up as one of the first coppers in the territory, I mm-hmm. think, and they used to live at Newcastle Waters or something. And just hearing all these things like in the book, then I'm like, oh, I didn't know that happened back then and because, you know, that's not what's taught in school or this or that or whatever. And so by other people being able to share those stories. like
2: Yeah, and people are trying to rewrite history. Yeah, yeah. And that's not right. That is so wrong. It's just – it's – yeah, it's, it's part and parcel of life and it's, it's like there's a lot of um, indigenous people in Alice Springs that probably my family saved them because there was an old girl that she was an Arabana woman out of Urdnadatta, an old Topsy Smith. She was uh, old, old Smith, married her and took her out to Old Tonga and he died out at Old Tonga and, and you get the book, The Man from Old Tunga, which is Walter Smith, which is, which is her, one of her children. And uh, well, after he died, she was coming into Alice what, with her and her goats and her kids coming back into Alice, and they got to a bore and you and um, they'd run out of water and everything else, and they were perishing. And my great grandfather picked them up, and brought them into you and we kept them, the family here, for a long time, and say like kept them alive. And then they the eventually moved into town. And then my great grandfather's wife, her um, her grand, her mother, which was old Granny Nicker. She organized when they were living in town, she organized Ida Stanley to come up with, with the, with the policeman at the time to teach the half caste children. And, um, anyway, so, and, and then one of her children was a pretty good mates with my grandfather. Like they ended up real good mates. And then they, he took up a lease down and on the nunnery road called Todd River Downs. And my grandfather gave him the cattle off of Undoia to stock the place sort of thing. So that's how, that's how it all worked yeah but that's history that people don't prob- some some family members remember it other probably don't but i don't know
1: it's that shades of gray though like you know there's you know we hear stories of hard times and bad time bad things happening and i'm not saying they like you know they obviously happened but it's that, you know, there's, there's this whole spectrum, I suppose, and, but we always like to kind of focus on one or the other, and mm. there's all these little things. Um, if I, if it's okay, if I can ask you just to share the story, I know you guys have records of, um, cause another thing that you say, like, that is disputed in history, and I'm not saying that just cause it happened here, it didn't happen, in, like, you know, that it only happened here, but, uh, with weight, like, I know you've got history of the wages that were paid.
2: Yeah, yeah, we've, got, we've got, uh, wage books here in the old diaries and uh, not on the own diary, but in the, in the old trunks that we've got. we we've got, we've got a storeroom that's just full of trunks, full of history, memorabilia that people would probably wet themselves <laughs> over.
1: Yeah, I pretty much am.
2: <laughs> and, and, and it's, they always talk about like the stolen wages and that from the indigenous people. Um, in the, in those, we have the wage ledgers and everything else of what everybody was paid. On, on working it do you, it's all still written there. It's all there. Like we have it all there.
1: Yeah. So again, like coming back to these, like I suppose, yeah, shades of grey, or I don't know. I'm probably using that term incorrectly. But so we're not saying that that everyone in Australia was paid, or that you know anything that we've been taught previously is wrong, but. It's not all black and white. Like just because something happened in one place doesn't mean it happened in every single place. So, because I suppose that is like a big thing. You know, people are talking, you know, you only got paid in salt and beef and damper and tea or whatever. And I'm sure, and I know that did happen on a lot of places, but that's why it's interesting to be able to talk to people like you and who also have the records and say, Hey, like, yes, that really did happen. But in this instance, it didn't, you know, just, and not, and not to say, to try and be proving anything and say, like you know, whatever. It just the more we know, I think, and the more context we have,
2: and it did happen, yeah. but it was, but it comes back to it was government policy, mm. and it was in the at the time it was the government policy of how it worked, and and our, our indigenous weren't um, recognised as Australian citizen, and and when a pastoral property took on an indigenous person, worker you supplied him a hat, boots, clothing and and you looked after his family. Whereas a white fellow would come in and and he, he supplied his own gear. But he got paid his wages. But the government withheld half of his wages. And and I have no idea what the government was doing, but that was a government policy that was put on us. So, yeah. And it comes back to the um stocking rates. It's it's government a lot of people forget that or don't research it, don't understand Backstory, I suppose. They, go, they don't do, they only go looking for what they want to find.
1: And I don't know how much there is to be found because it's even now, like, I know we're not saying anything particularly controversial, but I, as we're talking, I'm like, oh, can we talk about it? Because it's so, um, it's such a cancel culture today and such a politically correct society that you can't have these conversations. I mean, you can, but you really, for the most part, you can't and people don't. So, that's why I feel the need to keep stressing like we're not saying hey like if you say you know indigenous people weren't paid back in the day like well that's not right because they were paid here like I'm not that's not what we're trying to say we're just sharing other stories so that the more stories you hear the more context you have like it just builds a bigger picture you know it's like putting extra pieces in the puzzle rather than
2: and it comes back to people trying to change history and it's what it boils down to and it's they're trying to make history suit themselves and everything else and it's yeah, you, you can't do that.
1: It just makes it really hard to have conversations. I mean, I have so many conversations, you know, one-on-one outside of a microphone, and so many people do. And I know there's so many people that have certain thoughts on all sorts of different topics in the world, but you will not see it on the news or in a newspaper or in any kind of media or – because, like, we're too – um you know, and there's a real good chance that if we had one of these conversations, like – you just be, I use the inverted commas, cancelled and just, and labelled this and that and have you like, you know.
2: People are too frightened to say anything. Yeah. Is it's what it boils it's down really to. hard. So. But I'll, I always think to myself, why does, you, why does somebody's voice outweigh your own? Mm.
1: I love we're having lots of, um, like broader discussions today. Like I know I like, there's a lot of yarns as well, but I am loving that we're just kind of getting into these like, imagine, and, and this is us after we've just had a couple of cups of tea. Imagine if we sat down with a couple of beers, like oh, we no. could fix the world. Could happen, <laughs> but This, this might be another podcast coming up. You and me and a few beers. <laughs> oh gosh. I do want to ask you, um, cause I know I've taken up a lot of your time. Um, so before I start to wrap up on this episode about Undoia, cause we've still got your personal episode. I right. ho- hope you're not, you know, <laughs> hope your voice is going okay. We've still got one more to record, but you being so close to town, um, I suppose you guys are the, um, kind of, I'm going to say get lumped with, but you know, even, even myself, when I've had people contact me going, Oh, we're, a, um, work, we're doing some documentary for National Geographic or we're making this or that or whatever. And we need to come out and film on a station and we're somewhere around, you know, Alice Springs, because you're so close to town, like you kind of get, um, uh, uh, what's the word? Like, um, humbugged. Yeah. Yeah. Like to do anything, you know, oh, we, we've got some international visitors or we've got some, um, this or that, or we just need to take somebody to show someone like, you know, like you guys that kind of get the short straw all the time because you're so accessible. But you've had some pretty cool people come to visit over the years. Oh, so I we was, do. We and have. You, You've got a, tell us, you've got a, um, a guest book and I was just wondering if you could tell me about a few of the cool people that have signed your guest book here.
2: Um, yeah, no, we have. We've, we've had that going for a fair while. Um, and we've had Princess Anne and Captain Mark Phillips when they, on their honeymoon, they came here in 75, 30th of April, 1975. They signed the book. Um, do, do you
1: have any, cause you wouldn't, would you have been alive? Yeah, you would have been alive then, but really yeah, little.
2: I was a wee eye.
1: See, look, I've gone from calling you looking like you're 80 years old to saying you weren't even yeah, born know. until the <laughs> 80s. Like,
2: you yeah, oh. know, I was a young whippersnipper.
1: Do you remember them, or would you have been too young to remember
2: them No, then? I remember bits of it. And I don't know. I don't know whether I remember it or if somebody said it, and I remember it. I yeah. Sort of. It's one of those hard ones to remember. But
1: are there I, any yarns from that that visit? Like, um, like how did it? You know, my on mother that always like. my
2: mother always talks about it because back then it was the old party line telephone, ah. and um, went through the exchange, and everybody you could hear everyone's conversations, and uh, the police were the security and like the, around it was massive. And they'd pick up a, the phone and talk about this and that about the security and, um, everyone could hear it. <laughs> so yeah, it was pretty interesting sort of a life. M- mum always talks about that and she said, you knew exactly where and what was happening because it was all, everyone. And, and back then it was a bloody, like the old party line and, and the exchange. Well, the mole girls back then were probably like the mole bush tele- telegraph. They <laughs>
0: told everybody. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think I said in the episode with Cole Greenfield, I was like, oh, imagine, you know, I would have just faked a conversation about such and such having an affair just to see who was listening and, like, just, you know, it'd be a great way to spread some rumours. I just wonder, like, they're on their honeymoon, like, so this wasn't like a diplomatic visit that they're like, they just wanted to see something
2: on their honeymoon, do you reckon? I have no idea. I can't, I I don't, I've never really dug that deep about it. Um, There's photos of her around, walking around, him and her walking around the property. There's actually a photo here of 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 her, um, and I, I I have been led to believe it. Um, you're not allowed to take a photo of any royals climbing on a horse. Well, there's a photo here of her getting on a horse, and it's like oh. <gasps> scandal. <laughs> yeah, oh promise, my gosh! Scandal. You could probably shop
1: that around these days. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think they climbed on horses back then. They just clicked their fingers and magically appeared, appeared side on, saddle. Yeah. But,
2: Yeah, so there's a photo of her and, and, and dad's younger brother Mickey riding a horse here and stuff, yeah.
1: Wow. So this photo, sorry, is she already on the horse or is she like halfway on the horse?
2: Well, there's one with her on the horse and one with her halfway on the horse.
1: Scam, like, probably because of the angles and stuff, you know, must be like a butt shot or something. must see if
2: she got a big ass (laughs) or (laughs) something.
1: Maybe that's who made that rule in the first place. It's like, I don't want any photos of me, like. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Oh, there's just so much stuff in this little museum. I think we'll have to do like another one. We'll pull out some things and get like little lapel mics so we can walk around and you can just like do the tour and we'll just, do so many cool things. Um, yeah. So that, that was the one I was, I was hinting at when asking you about the cool people that have been here. Um, who else have you? Is there anyone else that comes to mind? Um, remembering that I'm sitting right here, <laughs> but I'll let you,
2: we not talk ha- about ha- me. Have you signed the book? I
1: think i I think I have. Have you? Oh, um, no, actually, no, I haven't because I'm not that cool. I think you've just been like, hey, have a look at our guest yeah, book. Yeah, you can look
2: at the book. Right yeah,
1: yeah I <laughs> haven't made the cut to sign it.
2: <laughs> um, there, there are, there's people coming, there's people from all over the world that have been here. And I actually enjoy people coming out and showing them. I suppose I'm proud of our history and the proud of the property and everything else. And I'm proud to show it off.
1: Yeah. So you should be. Yeah. It's wonderful. I, coming to, I suppose, the end of the episodes, I want to ask you a bit about the future of Andoya, but before that, I suppose, can you, talking, you know, earlier on in this episode, you said, um, back in the, around World War One. now that I've got my wars in the right order, um, when the government was trying to take, like, Andoya away from the family and to use it, I know that over the years, you've said like Anduya is a lot smaller than it used to be. So can you just tell us a little bit about that? And I guess then that may lead into how that's going to, how that impacts the, the future of Andoya.
2: Um, there's, is uh, down to this, probably the bare minimum it can get to. If they start and take any more country off Anduya, it becomes unviable as a past release. Um, so they, they've got to be very careful and mindful of that. Um, and, and that's, um, Part and parcel of it. The future of Undoja, I'd like to undo you to stay in the family. Um, while I'm alive, is not for sale. Um, but you never know down the, once I kick the bucket. <laughs> don't worry, I'll be here to watch out for you. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and I don't, I'm not putting a gun to anybody's head who wants to take the joint on. Um, that, that's, Part and parcel of down the track and that'll, that'll happen. Like I'm, I'm got a bit of age on me, not really old yet. <laughs> um, so I've got a little bit left in me. Um, and, and see what, but I don't want to be working all my life. I actually plan, I, I, I've talked to Nicole about it. I'd like to own a block south. I don't care where south is Tasmania, New Zealand, somewhere. I don't care. Just a nice block I can retire to, but that country's too cold in the winter. So I'd come back up here and I'd like to just operate and the grader or drive the truck for whoever's running the joint, but the summers are too bloody hot up here and so I'd rather go down there for summer. Yeah, fair enough. So, yeah, that's that, that's my goal, I suppose, in life. So who wants to take the joint on? Well, I've got five children. Surely one of the five and their spouses will be keen, but if not, well, we'll see what happens.
1: No, you know, just adopt a sixth child. <laughs> As I say while I'm sitting here smiling.
2: <laughs> and me being the youngest, my bloody – my parents kept going until they found one they liked. So that's why that's that, why they stopped at me because oh, they liked me.
1: Is that why you stopped at Jamie? Is that well, remembering that your just, poor daughters are going to be listening to this and I don't know, the only actually. boy is the youngest? So
2: <laughs> well, I did see it written somewhere the other night where – after the first child, they tried to re- replicate that because the first one was good. And it's like, Oh, geez, I don't know about that. <laughs> 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 I, I got one end of the spec, like right, Nikita, one end and Jamie, the other. Yeah,
1: yeah. <gasps> oh gosh. And so just, sorry, the last thing I just want to, um, because I know our listeners will not have the context. So when you're saying and Andui is down to the smallest size, uh, it can be. Why have bits of where? Where of those bits of land that used to be Undoolia? What are they today? Like, what's happening?
2: Um, they've taken them off for national parks, tacked them onto other properties, those sort of things. Town, yeah, or well, the town, the town was there anyway. But Undoolia used to go out on 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 the western side, out to Simpsons Gap. Um, the old Hamilton Downs homestead, the old original homestead on Hamilton Downs, was part of Undoolia. Um, our boundaries went out, right out to the, um, we call it letterbox, but on the Love's Creek boundary. Now, a lot of that country's the gardens. Um, yeah, so we've had bits of us n- taken off, I suppose, with realignments of boundaries and everything else. Like, Andrew's is only 1400 square K. Um, in the scheme of things, it's a bloody good little block. It's a funny block because I've got everybody's, I've got a bit of everybody's country. Like, on the north side of the ranges, I've got hill country. Not much water. I've only got three bores on the north side of the range, um, mainly dams. South side of the McDonald Ranges, it's, um, we got the Todd that flows through town, floods out through us, and then, then joins back into the creek around Rocky Hill and, and then runs back out into the, like, into Love's Creek and, and runs, runs down or runs, runs to the east. Um, and the, it's a, the Todd around Rocky Hill, there's a power of, Groundwater there, like underground water on the, in the Marini Basin. And, um, and like we've got a bit of mulga country, a bit of spin effect, not much spin effect, but a bit of mulga, gidgey, a lot of flood plundi- flood country, like flood out country. All, all me rivers that go through the range and then they flood out. Um, and in my bullock paddock, I can, I, in a good season, I can do two kilos a day on, on, on the feed in there, like they can, they just, you pull up and you can sit down and you can listen and hear the hide stretching. Like, it's bloody good. <laughs> it's really good. Um, and, and, um, yes, but it's a, like the Todd, once it goes, joins into a river and heads out east, the further you go along the Todd with the water, the bit brackishier it gets. Um, but it's, it's a beautiful part of the world and it's, it's, we're very lucky because we're, we're USDA organic accredited and EU accredited. Um, no, it's 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 a good part of the world. So there's – on
1: the one hand, I suppose there's – well, I, I mean, either way, there's a bright future for Ondoja because you've got so much history and legacy and you've – and luckily because everyone that's come before you has done a pretty good job, like you're in a good position, but like everything else, there's also surely going to be some challenges in the future
2: because – Every day is a challenge. There's yeah. always something, somebody wanting something somewhere and it just – but that's – that's. I don't think I'm the only one. Mm. Um, it's just challenges, and that's just living in the territory. There's challenges living in the territory. It's some good challenges, some shitty challenges. It's just there you take it, and it builds your character, I suppose.